0: So that's awesome. Man, my heart is exploding this morning. Um, I'm trying to just get myself together. I feel so trembly in a good way um, and just so tender before the Lord with what He's doing. And I just want to say thank you for being family because that's what He's doing at this hour and at this moment is He's building family. And I, you know, the amazing thing about family, which is important to know, is family is not so much about um, your expectations on others and how they must treat you. Family is actually not so much about that. Family is more so about your heart being connected around the same thing and knowing that you've been placed there by God. And so there is a connection and a oneness that comes from nothing else other than God placed you there. And you find unity around His presence. You find unity around the one that we, we all love and we've all fallen in love with. It actually doesn't have so much to do with whether you um, feel like you gel or click with people. I think it was Ben, I think you once said, you don't uh, fit in a family, you belong in a family. It's not so much about fitting in, it's about belonging. And I want to say thank you for belonging. And thank you for pushing in and leaning into that in a culture and a day and age where family isn't actually a priority. Where we, we even in the church... We've used family as an excuse, but in doing so, we've missed the whole point of family because God created our personal families to train us and teach us how to relate with one another for eternity and how to respond and connect with the Father. Anyway, so thank you. I won't go down that road, but thank you. I feel such a strong sense in my heart that the Lord is shifting us in this new era, and um, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about that, and I'm sure for some of you, it's like What are you talking about? New era, new time, new epoch, all these words. And that's okay. We don't really need to understand it. We just need to be aware. Um, And it's important that we as the church are aware that things are changing, that there's the beginning of something that's actually the beginning of the end. Um, And it's exciting. For Christians, this isn't a time to be afraid. This isn't a time to be uncertain. This is a time where we arise and shine because we know we're getting closer to the day He returns. And if you don't have that in your heart, then I want to invite you to fall in love with Jesus this morning, to give Him your whole life. Because when you do, there's such a surety and a confidence and a joy in your heart because you know the end of the story. You know what's coming. And so what it does is as you're getting closer to the end, your heart is yearning and aching for His return. And so you begin to prepare yourself and prepare others for that moment. So it's not a time to panic. It's not a time to freak out. It's not a time for the church to question, what are we doing? How are we doing it? Should we look for new methods? or No, it's a time to fall in love. It's a time to prepare our hearts and it's a time to prepare each other for His return and for those that, that don't know Him yet. It's a big deal, but I do feel like the Lord is shifting us from a service mentality to a bride mentality. Our way of thinking and the position and posture of our heart needs to be that of a bride, because if you read Revelations, when he describes what he's coming back for, he's not talking about an institution or an organization or systems or structures. He's talking about a bride. And he's talking about a people that have fallen in love with him, a people that he's in love with, who have captured and carried his heart, and he has captured their hearts. There's this oneness and this union and this unity, and it's the most beautiful thing, and we look like him. And, And he talks in Revelations of preparing the bride, preparing herself, making her ready for his return. And so we have to know that, yes, we are being built together as living stones, which we're going to talk about just now. We're being built together as a dwelling place for God. We function as a body. Every single one of us, we have different parts and and giftings and strengths. And so when we come together, we function like a body. There's so many different descriptions, but we are called to carry the heart of the bride. And the thing about the bride of Christ is that when you become His bride and you carry His heart, suddenly it's not so much about you. It's not so much about your comfort or your understanding or uh, how this is best going to benefit you, you've fallen in love with somebody and your heart aches to see that person get everything he paid for. See, I know that you've heard this before, but I've been so gripped in the worship around this because when that happens and your heart is truly fallen in love, it means that everything you are is given over to this lover of our souls and you look at what he's done for us and you look at the price that he paid and the greatest longing and desire of your heart is that he would get everything he paid for everything. And so what happened to me this morning is I like, I, you know, I keep praying this prayer, Lord, give me your heart, give me your heart. And every time he breaks my heart so that I can have a greater capacity to love and to see what, and so I'm, I'm here and suddenly I'm beginning to feel in my spirit. I'm feeling and, and hearing the calls and, and the aching and the longing of people who have not even heard the mention of his name, let alone been invited to a relationship with him. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you switch on the bride this morning, that you switch every heart and every mind on in the Spirit right now, that you awaken us to receive. Even my heart, Lord, awaken me to receive what you want to say today in Jesus' name. Tender doesn't mean um, passive. Tender means sensitive and awake and alive to what he's doing. And that's what I feel this morning. I feel like every little movement and touch of the Holy Spirit, I can feel it. And that's what He wants for us. It's that tenderness before Him. He wants to make your heart tender before Him this morning. And some of you have hard hearts today, and that's okay. Let Him tenderize you in His presence. Marinate in His presence. He's going to soften your hearts because He's got so much He wants to say and, and put in your heart today. Is that okay? If there's stuff, if you, I can feel like if there's stuff in your mind that you're wrestling with, just shake it off. You don't have to wrestle. It's okay. You're a son. You're a daughter. Just Breathe. Okay, if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, for the first time ever, I'm going to fully, fully preach all my scriptures out of the Passion Translation, but I have my Amplified here so that I look legal, okay? I have read all of these scriptures out of the Amplified. I'm fully, fully aware of different translations. Why I love the Passion is because it's the language of a bride. It's the language of love. So I'm going to read from the Passion, um, so it's probably going to sound a little bit different, but it's exactly the same. It's just different English words used to describe the same Greek and Hebrew words. Okay, I, I can't really move from Matthew 16 um, from, from verse 13. I've been there for a couple of months and I'll just use this to start and we'll move together. Um, from verse 13, when Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question. What are the people saying about me, son of, uh, the Son of Man? What are they saying about the Son of Man? Who do they believe that I am? And they answered, Some are convinced you are John the baptizer. Others say you are Elijah, reincarnated, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus says this, But you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter spoke up and said, You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are favored and privileged. Simon, son of Jonah, for you didn't discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed this to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone or little rock, and this truth, in the Greek it's Petra, big rock, of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. The revelation of Jesus is what he's saying. The revelation of the Son, what you've just received, is the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. And the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. Okay. When I read this, the first question I start to ask is what does the church look like that's built on the revelation of Jesus Christ? Because they're not a group of people that are built on their needs. They're not a group of people built on insecurities. They're not a group of people waiting for the church to be the answer to their personal problems. They're a group of people that are resonating around one thing, and that's that He's worthy, and we've seen Him, and we know Him, and we've received revelation on who He is, and He deserves our whole lives. So a church built on the revelation of Jesus come to gatherings and have times of fellowship together, not because um, they're looking for something to fulfill them. They're already fulfilled in Jesus, but they do it because He's worthy and they want to see Him get His reward. And so when we come together, we're built on His worth. You come here because Jesus is here. Does that make sense? So you don't come here with expectations of, well, you know, maybe 24-7 will meet these certain needs or things that I've struggled with. I, I, I know, I understand that thinking. I'm just letting you know that to be built on the revelation of Jesus means everything that you need is found in Him. And we gather as the body and as the bride because it's Him. And, and He is the answer. He's pumping through the veins of this body. He, the blood of Jesus is inside of every single one of us. And as He's moving in us and through us, we're beginning to come into alignment with Him, the answer to all things. And suddenly we have the answer inside of us to bring to the world. So we're not coming to church to look for the answers. We have the answer. We gather to be equipped and encouraged to become the answer to the lost around us. Does that make sense? This is so important because it it changes your Sunday morning, wake up and get ready to come to church. Suddenly you are prayed up, fired up, excited to be a part of the body, excited to be at church, ready to see God move. You want to equip one another. You want to encourage one another. You're not out there having coffees, um, you know, licking each other's wounds. You're actually bringing the reality of the kingdom to each other and saying, come on, we keep our eyes fixed on the one. We know why we're alive. We know the hour that we're in. Last week, um, my dad was sharing about that. I think it was last week. You know, For this hour I have come, Jesus says in John 12. Glorify your name. We know the hour that we're in. And so when I read this, um, I'm so stirred by that, that we're built on the revelation of Jesus. But verse 19, gripped my heart. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. Another way of saying it is to unlock on earth what's unlocked in heaven and to lock or bind up on earth what is bound in heaven. The Amplified actually explains it that what you, what you do on earth will have already be done in heaven. What you unlock will have already been unlocked. What you close will have already been closed. This is incredible that Jesus says, not only am I going to build you on the revelation that I give you of myself, but I'm also going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And if, if He's given us the keys, and He's just explained what those keys do, He's given us authority to make sure that the mandate and the atmosphere and the environment and the, the government of heaven is seen and released on the earth. And so the mandate of the church is on earth as it is in heaven. But it's so important that we understand... Sorry, my nose is running. I'm trying to keep it together here. It's so important that we understand that what motivates heaven... Is not systems, structures, uh, organization, and institutions. The motivation in heaven is love. Thank you. It's love, it's intimacy. Anyone else? Tissues, tissues, thank you. (laughs) I hope you heard me. The motivation in heaven behind everything the motivation to worship, everything that heaven is it all comes from love and intimacy. So that's why he's building a bride. That's why he's putting together and preparing his bride, because for eternity, it's going to be one crazy, beautiful romance with Jesus. And so we sing these languages um, this morning, because I was just saying to, I think I was saying to my dad, Jesus isn't English. So when we get to heaven and we're in the throne room, you're not going to hear your favorite English songs. In fact, I'm not even sure we'll hear earthly languages. We don't know. But the point is we have to align ourselves as a bride, not just as a little local church with a group of people that like our little routine every Sunday, and this is what we do. No, we have to have the perspective and the heart of a bride and begin to pick up now what He's doing and what He's preparing so that we're fully alive, fully awake, fully aligned with what He's doing, that when we get to heaven, we know this. We've seen a glimpse of this. We know how to be a bride. We know that this is going to look like so many diverse expressions and that you're uniqueness is celebrated but never exalted above another and so this is where this unity comes in and so why do we go to the nations because in heaven we're all going to be there together but I want to make sure that it's everyone and so I'm, I'm weeping here because I'm feeling the the forgotten and those in the mountains and the hills that nobody thinks of nobody wants to go there but Jesus has been there He's paved the way in the spirit and he's moving and he's, he's looking for people, a people that will carry his heart. It has nothing to do with your comfort. It has nothing to do with your discernment. It has everything to do with your yieldedness to the heart of God, your tenderness, that you pick up his heart and you say, Lord, all I want is for you to have the reward that you paid for. All I want is for what you've done in me that you would do it in everyone that I see and meet. That those that nobody's thinking about, the broken, the forgotten, the lost, whether it's down the road or across the world, that they would experience you. And so when we talk about nations, it's not because we're we're stoked about travel. To be quite honest, the places we're going are never the nice tourist places. (laughs) It's part of the reason why... You know, we talk about Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran. Nobody wants to go there on holiday. Do you know what I'm saying? And God's put a fire in us as a community. I know He's put a fire in me for these places. And when I look at it in the natural, I go, I don't want to go. But in the spirit, I feel the longing and the ache of the heart of God, of the heart of the bridegroom for these people. And so what it does is it causes you to to die to yourself again. This is the gospel. To put those things aside, to say, Lord, give me your heart. Make me tender. Make my heart soft. I want to care about the things you care about. I want to love people that you love. I know I don't have the capacity in and of myself to love terrorists and to love rebels and to love just even the guy on the street who has no home and hasn't showered in three months. I don't have that capacity in and of myself, but when I'm positioned as the bride, I receive the tender heart of the Father and suddenly I'm positioned to love. I'm, I'm able to love with a love that's supernatural. This is the heart of God. And so when we think about the keys of the kingdom realm, it's not so much keys just for your prosperity as much as I believe in that. It's not just keys to unlock your well-being. That's beautiful. But that's like the tiniest part of the gospel. It's actually picking up what God cares about Hearing his voice and being obedient to unlock at the right time the the places, the people, the the lands that God's beginning to reach at this time. You know, it's a funny it's a strange thing for me that it's strange to the church to talk about the unreached. Because when I read the book of Acts, it's the entire mandate of the church is where has the gospel not been proclaimed? We need to take it there. Do you hear what I'm saying? So the problem is we've become so introspective and self-absorbed without meaning to. I'm not being ugly. This is what happens. You know, if we're not staying fixed and focused on Jesus, we begin to look at ourselves and we we get messy. And so suddenly the church is so introspective. And even uh, through this COVID time, it's like just trying to survive. Church is just, how do we just keep our doors open? How do we just keep going? How do we? No, come on. We're the bride of Christ. Nothing can stop us. We've been given the keys of the kingdom realm to unlock and to bind, to unlock and to close. And so now as the church, we come alive because we realize, okay, wow, Lord, we're called to rule and reign. We're called to actually have dominion here on the earth. But it doesn't happen because you suddenly decided to get some confidence, pick yourself up, and act more spiritual. It happens because you've come to the end of yourself. You've received the gift of tears, as Corey Russell talks about it. Gift of tears, when you get to the point where there's nothing left, You're beyond words. And suddenly you just find your heart in this tender place before the Lord where it's like, Lord, all I know to do is to put my life in your hands, soft like putty, and to let you begin to shape and mold my thoughts, my desires, my emotions, the things I care about, my faith, everything that I am, that you would begin to do that. Talk about preparing for nations. It's not so much about figuring out exactly what you're going to do. It's about making sure your heart is soft. It's the heart of a bride. If you want to quickly jump to uh, 1 Peter, chapter 2. We'll read um, from verse 1. So abandon every form of evil, deceit, hypocrisy, feelings of jealousy and slander. In the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. For this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished and strong for life, especially now that you've had a taste of the goodness of the Lord Jehovah and have experienced His kindness. So keep coming to Him who is the living stone, though He was rejected and discarded by men, but chosen by God and is priceless in God's sight. Come and be His living stones who are continually being assembled into a sanctuary for God For now you serve as holy priests, offering up spiritual sacrifices that he readily accepts through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, look, I lay a cornerstone in Zion, a chosen and priceless stone, and whoever believes in him will certainly not be disappointed. As believers, you know his great worth. Indeed, his preciousness is imparted to you. How do you know you're a believer? As believers, you know His great worth, and His preciousness is imparted to you. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected and discarded has now become the cornerstone, and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock to trip over. They keep stumbling over the message because they refuse to believe it, and this they were destined to do. Here's what's a little bit scary. I'm not going to go down this road, just throw it out. Why is it that there's still parts and and Groups in the church that are offended by this message. It's good. We've got we to wrestle with these things and say, come on, we are these people. We're the ones who know His worth. We know the preciousness that's been imparted to us. We know what we're about. We're believers. We cannot be a people who are offended by the gospel. We cannot be a people who are offended and stumble over the message of die to self, rise with Christ. We cannot be a people that are upset because the preaching of the gospel is making you feel a little bit uncomfortable and motivated and mobilized to do something in the kingdom. We can't be a people that are upset by that. We've got to be soft and tender in His hands and let Him move us, let Him shape us. We know that even in the mobilizing, we cannot do anything that He doesn't anoint us to do. So this isn't so much about you having it all together. Maybe you've the last couple of weeks, you're just feeling like, Man, I love this. I love what you're doing, but I have no idea how or what. And then what we do is we get prideful and arrogant, and we try to act spiritual and put on a whole bunch of stuff. And the reality is all we need to do is just come before him in tenderness and just say, Lord, I need you, but I want to give you my yes. I want to give you everything. And if I can be in that place, you'll pick me up. You'll use me. You'll write history. You'll do amazing things. When you give him your gifts, when you give him your discernment, when you give him your weaknesses, your insecurities, your everything, you even give Him your influence. You give Him everything, and you just say, Lord, I just need You. I need the greater measure. I need Your anointing. I need Your heart. It's that, that's all He's looking for in a bride. So we don't want to be a people that are stumbling over the message because we refuse to believe it. I can, I can tell in my spirit when it's received and when it's not received. And that's okay. We have a really receptive church. I'm so grateful. And I want to encourage you to, to do that, to, to say, Lord, I might not even really get this or understand this, but I just make me soft, make me tender. You know, it's okay to pray like that. This week, I found myself in that place where there was just, it's a, there's a lot happening in this season. We're doing so much as a community. This, this little community, it's not small, it's significant. We're doing so much in the kingdom. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming. And so this week I was in that place of like, Lord, I'm so excited, but I feel a little bit numb, like I'm a bit overwhelmed. So I ended up praying, Lord, give me the gift of tears. Lord, soften me, break me. Do what you need to do to keep me soft and tender. And that's the last two days, three days, just feeling that as he's wooing me to that place of like, I've got this. I'm your dad. I'm Abba. Before you are anything, you are son and daughter. Before you're commissioned to do anything, you're commissioned to be His son. You're commissioned to be His daughter. We have to live from that place. Verse 9, you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience His marvelous light, and now He claims you as His very own. He did this so that you would broadcast His glorious wonders throughout the world. Why does He do all those things? Why are we, His chosen treasure, uh, priests and kings, a spiritual nation set apart, called out of darkness into marvelous light, His own? Why are we those things? To broadcast His glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. And at one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet, but now you are drenched with it. Oh. For the sake of time, I'm not going to do it, but I I want to encourage you to go back to John 15 and just sit there for December. I just want to encourage you. Just go to John 15. You just stay there. Because December, in the natural, it's wind down. And what happens is, in the spirit, we, we don't stay sharp. So because we now just want to rest and switch off, it's just, everything shuts down. Fruitfulness comes from intimacy. It comes from abiding. The greatest lesson the church could learn, even before reaching nations, is to abide. Because if we can abide and learn to rest, if we know how to rest as sons and daughters, we will always be fruitful in every season. And abiding, I promise you, it doesn't actually look like somebody who has just got a lot to say and they're super pumped up, supercharged spiritual people. They are spiritual, but what it looks like is tenderness before the Lord, dependence on Him. It's a place of rest because your trust is found in Him. You'll often find people that are abiding are slow to speak, quick to listen because they're, they're, they're fulfilled in Him. There's a, a contentment in Him. So in December, it doesn't have to be this crazy season where you're striving to rest. We can actually just rest and abide in Him. And I promise you this, you can stay spiritually sharp and be physically rested. You don't have to switch off to rest. And I'm saying this because where we're going in 2021, from the 3rd of January or 1st of January, It's go time. (laughs) And we got to be ready as the bride. we got to be ready as the church. Because I'm more aware than ever that two or three or five or six crazy people hopping around the world might do one or two great trips, but we need a community to finish the Great Commission. We need the bride. We need the body. So good. That's good preaching. If you want to quickly jump to Revelations 22... Uh, We'll just quickly read verse 17 for the sake of time just to keep moving. The Passion says it like this. Come, says the Holy Spirit and the bride in divine duet. Let everyone who hears this duet join them in saying, come. Come. Let everyone gripped with spiritual thirst say, come. And let everyone who craves the gift of living water come and drink it freely. It is my gift to you. Come, says the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inside of us is crying out to Abba Father on our behalf, calling Him Abba so that you can have that kind of communion and relationship all the time. But He's also crying out inside of us, come Lord Jesus. So, the church, when we begin to really become aligned and come into the Spirit, suddenly we join with Holy Spirit in this divine duet of calling, come Lord Jesus. But here's the thing, it's not just a song or a word, it's a posture that we find ourselves in that actually uh, determines our decisions and our actions here on the earth. When we come into unity with the Spirit, when we're living in the Spirit, when we're alive in Him, we'll find our heart positioned in this place to say, come Lord Jesus, not just as a song, not just as a sermon, but a heart cry that then affects the way you live your life. So Jesus said that the gospel would be preached to all the world, and then the end would come. So if I'm saying, come, Lord Jesus, I have to start thinking about things like, where in the world has the gospel not been preached? Because I'm really eager and longing for His return. And the only reason why some of you might feel fear at the thought of His return and the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> I sound like a crazy crazy guy. The only reason why you would have fear is if you don't know Him. Or if you've taken your eyes off of Him and you started to look at something else and you've forgotten who He is. When we know Him and we're looking at Him and we're receiving His heart and we're in unity with the Spirit, we're not afraid of Him returning. We're not afraid of, of the, the end of this world as we know it because we were never living for it anyway. And so the church comes alive in the end times when we start to align ourselves with come Lord Jesus. We're eager for your return. We're aching for you. And it, it, it affects every decision that you'll make in your life. Because suddenly, when it's not so much about trying to survive and be comfortable in this world, but it's more so about getting closer and closer to His return, then your decisions are not about you getting a better life. Your decisions are that everything that I am in life is found in Him. I'm aching for His return. What's left to be done that He's called us to do to see His kingdom come? This is why we talk about nations. This is why we we, we want to reach the lost and evangelize and why we want to see those in bondage set free, the captive set free, because it's His kingdom, because we want Him to come. We want to be ready as the bride. Are you guys with me? Awesome. Uh, okay, this will be a little bit of a, a weird one, but it's okay. Let's go to Revelations 14. And please, I'm going to say this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this in the context of Revelation is all about the revelation of Jesus. Um, this isn't about um, uh, events and times and trying to—let's dis- just not go there. Why? It's not important. If the way that Revelations was written clearly says to me that it wasn't given to us so that we would know exactly how the events are going to play out. We just have to be real. If He wanted us to know exactly, He would have done it. But He wrote it in a way that brings us closer to Jesus and causes us to have a dependence and a love and a reliance on Him. And then we begin to see things play out. So, um, this year talks about the 144,000. No, we don't believe that only 144,000 people are going to heaven. Um, this is, it's a symbolic number. And I looked it up and 144,000 actually means divine rule. And it says it's the ultimate remnant that will be united in the heavenlies and will break forth into the final age of God's reign. So that's you. I don't know, that excited me, but I'm glad that you guys are so pumped. Um, Perfection, it's also perfection of divine government. That's what it means. We're unified under the rulership and lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what this number means, okay? So when you read that, think about it like this. So it says, Then I looked and behold, there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. Gathered with Him were 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. So that's you. Gathered with Him were us divine government the rule and reign of Jesus through his sons and daughters and we have his name and his father's name written on our foreheads that's a movie I want to see and I heard a tremendous sound coming out of heaven like the roar of a waterfall and like the ear-splitting sound of a thunderclap the sound of music that I heard was like the sound of many harpists playing their harps that's you And they were singing a wonderful new song before the throne in front of the four living creatures and in front of the 24 elders. We are going to sing a new song and play these awesome harps before the the four living creatures, the 24 elders in the throne room of God. And it's a song that only we can sing. Verse 4, no one could learn that song except 144,000 who had been redeemed and who have not defiled themselves. Let me explain this to you. Read this. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who'd been redeemed and who have not defiled themselves with women. By the way, that thing there, defiled themselves with women, is talking about the daughters of Babylon. It's talking about the systems of the world. We haven't committed adultery in our hearts and fallen in love with the daughters of Babylon, the systems of this world. But then it says, for they are virgins. What does that make you think of? Mary is a virgin. Holy Spirit overshadows her. And she is entrusted with the seed of God to carry and birth something on the earth. That's us, carriers, hosts of His presence, of His kingdom. We haven't uh, committed adultery with the world. We have kept ourselves pure to carry Him. How do we keep ourselves pure? Not by you know, trying to fix your life and slapping yourself with an elastic band. That's what I was doing, sorry. Um, <laughs> but actually keeping ourselves pure is staying aligned with what Jesus has done and what He's given us, what He's paid for, and realizing that that has happened so that we could be prepared as a resting place for His presence and for His kingdom because we're sons and daughters. This is what this is saying. Come on, Revelations comes alive when you begin to understand this. It says, and they join themselves to the Lamb wherever He goes. Imagine that's just how we operated. Where is Jesus going? We are joined with Him. So he says, we're going to Turkey. We're going to Turkey. So he says, we're going to Hillbrow. We're going to Hillbrow. We're going to Santon. We're going to Santon. We're joined. We're one with him. Thank you, Lord. Um, They have been purchased from humanity. (laughs) You have been purchased from humanity. Why would we settle for humanity? I'm only human when you've been purchased from it. Why would we think with human worldly understanding when you've been purchased from humanity? You don't have to live in the wisdom of man. You don't have to listen to the advice of the wisdom of man. You have been purchased from humanity into the kingdom of the sun, where there is divine wisdom from heaven that makes no sense in the context of earthly wisdom. But in here, it's a supernatural wisdom that we receive, that we take into the natural, and we astound those. We use the foolish things to confound the wise, and the kingdom of heaven invades earth. They've been purchased from humanity and brought forth as the first fruits for God and the Lamb. You are called to be walking, living examples of what He's paid for. Their words are always true. They are without flaw. Then there's this interesting uh, passage, and I'll just read the beginning. And there's three angels that make these announcements. Basically, the first one, it says, uh, Then I witnessed another angel flying in the sky, carrying a message of eternal good news to announce to the earth. Ooh. To every tribe, language, people, and nation. It cannot just be about me and Jesus, because to be the bride means to care about this, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. You cannot fall in love with the shepherd of the nations and the desire of the nations and think that it only has to do with you when actually all of this is about a bride that is from every tribe, tongue, and nation that he's bringing together in one place. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, so he says this, every tribe, tongue, people, nation. With a loud voice he shouted, this is this angel, You must reverence God and glorify him. For the time has come for him to judge. Worship at the feet of the creator of heaven, earth, and sea, and springs of water. It's a, it's a call to worship. Worship. It's a call to reverence. It's a call to adoration. And it's being released across the earth. The second one says, uh, there's a second angel followed that declares, she fell, she fell. Babylon the great is fallen. Babylon representing the systems of this world. Fallen. She once seduced the nations and made them all drink the wine of passion of her harlotry. You don't want to be that. Third one, it's a whole hectic thing, but the third one is basically to save time. Those that are that don't believe, that have accepted the mark of the beast, we know, don't get into all this weird stuff. Don't, it's not something on your head or in a chip, or whatever. Just let's keep it simple. They didn't believe in Jesus. They rejected the Son of God, and it talks about the wrath that's there. For, and we come on, we've got to be honest. Let's stop being wimps and not talking about the things that are actually true and that there is eternal separation from God in which the wrath of God is poured out on those who choose not to believe. And the reason that there's the opportunity to choose is simply because you cannot experience true love if you don't get to choose it. You don't know love unless you get to choose to love somebody. It takes two to make love known. So God's heart is not for people to perish. God's heart is for all to come in, but He's given us the choice. So this third angel announces that. It's quite intense. If you want to read it later, you can. Let's just save time. Um, But then, this is awesome, verse 14. I looked and behold, I saw a white cloud and sitting upon it was one like the Son of Man wearing a golden crown and holding a sharp sickle. I love Jesus. He is cool. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Another angel came out of the temple shouting out to the one sitting upon the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, for the time of reaping the harvest has come, and the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the one sitting upon the white cloud gave his sickle a mighty swing over the earth and reaped its harvest. Whew! that's Jesus. Okay, you can carry on reading the rest. It's really awesome. Let's quickly, from there, jump to Revelation 19. Verse 6, I love revelations. (laughs) Then I heard what seemed to be the thunderous voice of a great multitude, like the sound of a massive waterfall and mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt Him and give Him glory, because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come. That's us. And His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, shining bright and clear, has been given to her to wear, and the fine linen represents the righteous deeds of His holy believers. Then the angel said to me, write these words, wonderfully blessed are those who are invited to feast at the wedding celebration of the Lamb. And then he said to me, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell down at the angel's feet to worship him. But he stopped me and said, don't do this. For I am only a fellow servant with you and one of your brothers and sisters who cling to what Jesus testifies. Even the angels are pointing us to Jesus. Worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It gets better. Here we go. Then I saw heaven opened, and suddenly a white horse appeared. The name of the one riding it was Faithful and True, and with pure righteousness he judges and rides to battle. He wore many regal crowns, and his eyes were flashing like flames of fire. He had a secret name inscribed on him that's known only to himself. How cool is that? He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title is called the Word of God. Following him, following him on white horses were the armies of heaven, wearing white, fine linen, pure and bright. That's you. A sharp sword came from his mouth, which to conquer the nations, and he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will trample out the wine in the winepress of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not for you. It's not for you. (sighs) On his robe and on his thigh, we sang this, he had inscribed a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Quickly jump to Song of Songs, chapter 8. I don't know if I'm making any sense. (sighs) Okay, so this is where we want to go. What I pray in my heart is happening this morning. I don't, I'm not too concerned if it's making sense in your head, but I hope you're being gripped in your spirit, gripped with a desire to know Him, gripped with a desire to love Him, gripped with a desire to be fiercely and furiously possessed and filled by the love and nature of Jesus because we need to be tender and soft as a bride, in love with Him, obsessed with him, looking at him, gazing at him, listening to every word that comes from his mouth, because it's that bride in this hour that's going to see the kingdom of heaven come in a way that we've never known or understood. So uh, Song of Songs chapter 8 from verse 5 in the Passion. Who is this one? Look at her now. She arises out of her desert clinging to her beloved. When I awakened you under the apple tree as you were feasting upon me, I awakened your innermost being with the travail of birth as you longed for more of me. I don't know about you, but I feel like that's where I've been or we've been for a while. Right here. Who is this one? Look at her now. She arises out of her desert, clinging to her beloved. Maybe 2020 was kind of like that for you. Just a desert and you're just clinging. You just hold on and you just, he's my beloved, he's all that I know, he's all that I want and I'm just gonna hold to him. I wanna tell you that's not a place of weakness. That's a place of great strength for the bride. When I awakened you under the apple tree as you were feasting upon me, come on. I awakened your innermost being with the travail of birth as you longed for more of me. We've been there. We've been in that travail of birth because we've been longing for more. We know that it was never meant to be nice little cookie-cut services that make us feel better. We know that there's more. We long for all of Him. We want to see His kingdom come. This is what He says now. Fasten me upon your heart as a seal of fire forevermore. This living, consuming flame will seal you. Everybody say, seal you. Seal. Seal you as my prisoner of love. What does it look like to be a prisoner of His love? There's just no escaping. There's no, there is nothing, nothing in your past, present or future, no situation, circumstance, too difficult, disappointment, too great, failure that you think is actually a failure. None of that can actually separate you from His love when you put it on a seal, as a seal over your life forevermore and you become a prisoner of His fiery love. <clears throat> My passion is stronger than the chains of death and the grave. Not even death can separate you. All consuming as the very flashes of fire from the burning heart of God. That's the fire we're talking about. These flashes of fire from the very burning heart of God. Place this fierce, unrelenting fire over your entire being. I know I'm an intense dude, but I love this kind of language. It's like, just when you think it's, it's like too much, he describes it as even more graphic. It's like, take this fierce, unrelenting fire and put it over your entire being. Ah, rivers, I love this, rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Endless floods will be unable to quench this raging fire that burns within you. This is the heart of the bride. This is what we need. everything will be consumed. It will stop at nothing as you yield everything to this furious fire until it won't even seem to you like a sacrifice anymore. This is the heart of a bride. But why would you go all the way to Turkey, all the way to Antioch where nobody wants to go? Why would you travel, pay all that money, go there just to do what God's told you to do? Well, I'm getting to the place where, yeah, he said so. I'm yielding everything to this furious fire, every moment of every day. I'm yielding to this furious fire until it won't even seem like a sacrifice anymore. Where I'm so taken by the lamb, I'm so fully taken by the great lover of our souls, I'm so lost in the one who we just described in Revelation, who I'll ride with at the end of the age. I'm so taken by him and his fire, and I've allowed him to put it on me like a seal forevermore that it doesn't even seem like a sacrifice anymore. Now, I'm saying I am. I'm saying I, that's what I want to be. I know we all want that. But we have to, we have to live like this. We have, to, we have to talk like this, live like this, be like this. It stirs faith in our hearts. It's okay to say that you are something with the expectation of Holy Spirit to make you that. That's confidence. Um, wow, well, Time. Rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. What flame? Romance, love, intimacy. Endless floods will be unable to quench this raging fire burning within you. Everything will be consumed. Everything. We have to allow everything to be consumed. Maybe you feel like I'm hopping on this a little bit and and going on too much, but the reality is we need to get this. You know, I, I feel the... Is that the right word? Anyway. Yeah, I'm hopping. I'm playing hops in heaven. We need to understand this because we're in we're in a moment and a, an hour and a time in history where it's just not the same anymore. And so it's it actually it's gonna get real uncomfortable if you carry on living the way you were living. It's gonna be really uncomfortable and really difficult if you stay where you've been for the last ten years. We have to move. And I'm just telling you from experience this last couple of weeks, it's a whole lot better being tender and knowing nothing. I don't understand anything. I don't even know what you're doing, but I'm tender and I'm in. And then it's so easy because he goes, I can take that and shape that and move that. It's rather that than being super spiritual. And I, I'm saying that in an in exaggeration. We must be spiritual and supernaturally spiritual. But, but in a pseudo way, in a false way, we try and put on spirituality. We try and pretend like we actually know what's going on. And we justify certain things and put on this whole show. And the reality is what's happening is we're being dragged by Jesus. And we go, I know what's happening. I know, I know where we're going. I'm a good leader. I've got vision. Just letting you into my process. Honestly, you get to the point where you just go, you know what, Lord, I don't want to be a leader. I want to be a son. And I just pray to God that somebody follows and we'll just keep going. Because I don't see Jesus teaching on stuff like that. Well, I'm not called to do this or that. Oh, come on, let's just get all of this language out of the church and let's just get real tender before him. And please, I'm saying this to you now. The, The bride that we are becoming is not one where your leaders have all the answers for you. It just isn't. It's one where your leaders are going to say, have you tried tears? <laughs> you know, there's a story about that, which is why I use that reference, with the Salvation Army, where there was a group that were working into a region and they weren't seeing any fruit, no salvations, no results, nothing. Nothing. So they write a letter to the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth. This is a different Salvation Army to what you know today. Back then, they were wild and radical. And uh, William Booth gets this letter, and they're saying, we're going to pack up and come back because nothing's happening. And he sent back a two-word letter, try tears. And they got on their face, and they wept before the Lord. They got to the end of themselves, and God began to move. Let me bring some clarity to this. We've had tears, but there's a new kind of tears that's coming on the church. We've had, and I'm, I'm saying this to myself because I feel this so often where I say something and I feel like the Lord explaining to me what you think that looks like. I love your heart. It's different. Just follow me. Just follow me. Don't go back to your defaults. Don't go back to what you think you know. Just stay tender. Just stay tender. Just follow me. Just follow me. And so what I say today, I, I know I'm an intense dude and I say things maybe quite straight, but I'm saying it because this is what's happening in my own heart. I believe this is what's happening in the bride. I don't, I don't say this to offend you. I say this to, to challenge you and to stir your heart, to provoke you to get before the Lord. And if I'm so honest, man, this was this morning, the Lord just hitting me again and again with this because it's so easy to just when you get tired and, and I know people are tired man it's been a, it's been an intense year. Like it's okay. It's okay to be tired. But when we get tired, we, we sometimes we we shut down, we stop leaning in, we stop pushing in, and we go back to defaults and and then we feel this pressure to still seem like we're these crazy on fire radical people, but we're actually tired and so then we're doing this weird pseudo spiritual thing that's just it's just not nice. I think we just need to quit it. Let's just stop pretending. And let's just be tender and real before the Lord. Because when you're in that place, Holy Spirit's anointing, which is Him, it's the person of the, of the Holy Spirit, comes upon you, and He divinely enables you to do what you're called to do. And so it's actually okay not to really know what's happening. Just make sure that you're stewarding your heart well. Do you know what I'm saying? Now we are in the perfect storm as a church. We are, I mean, I... We, we know this as the Lord of the family a little bit more, maybe because we, we walk it every day. But we are believing for just ridiculous things. I have parents that just, they just, it's just yes to Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. It's flippin' scary. Because we're in a place as a church where we're contending for dreams that we don't have the finance for, but we're going after it. And it's, that's. A, it costs, and you gotta stay tender. If you don't stay tender, man, bitterness and, and hardness and numbness. In fact, numbness comes because it's just, it's just scary. You can get numb real quick when God puts all these dreams in your heart and you try to do them in your own strength. And we do it so easily. The last two weeks, I could feel that fight in my heart of, you know, all the stuff's happening, and so many, so many people come and they, they want the answers and the explanation to what you're saying and where we're going and what the Lord's saying. And I'm going, all I know is He said that's where we're going. As an eldership team, we have these conversations like all we know is God said, do that. So then people come and say, explain exactly how that's going to happen. Try tears. (laughs) Because that's the reality. That's where we are. And I'm inviting you today on behalf of our eldership team, I'm inviting you to come to the tender place with us, to come to that soft place of tears, to come to that place on our knees where we're saying, Lord, we know that you're doing something we have no grid reference for. We don't even know how this is gonna look or how it's gonna happen. All I know and all we know, and and for you and your life, what you're facing, all we need to know is if I can come tender with the heart of a bride, in love with you, knowing that you are so passionately in love with me, I can trust you with this and I can follow you to the ends of the earth. We're inviting you to that place because that's a place of faith. You know, I I think there are times where faith looks like rah, rah, rah and and declarations and, you know, and and there's power in that. Don't get me wrong. But there's also times where faith looks like tenderness, where it looks like tears, where it looks like getting before the Lord and just saying, Lord, I know you. I trust you. I put it back in your hands. Are you with me? And so I, I pray that you didn't fall asleep to this word. And I mean in the spirit. Because it really, it's not a word to impress you. I, I think we are beyond that as a church. And I hope you didn't come to be impressed. But I pray it's something to stir your heart. And for us as a community to grab a hold of this and to know in our hearts, okay, man, this is an adventure with Jesus. This is the greatest, I mean, read the book of Revelation. This is the greatest adventure we'll ever know. And it's so worth it. And we as believers, we know His worth. Maybe not in here yet, but it's in here. We know His worth. And we've received the preciousness that's been imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. That's why we do what we do. And so when we come together, that's our reason. He's worthy. Ah, you keep saying that. I promise you, if you don't get used to it now, it's going to be very uncomfortable in heaven. He's so worthy. So the invitation today is to die to the defaults and the insecurities, to die to the pseudo-spirituality, this feeling like you've got to prove yourself or be something. Let's just get tender before Jesus and be a bride. Let's be his bride. Do you want to stand with me? we're in the greatest hour the greatest hour the church has ever known what a privilege to be alive and I pray Holy Spirit that you put that in our hearts now that it, this is a privilege to be alive at this time and I ask Lord that you would minister um to hearts that feel numb or dull or hard. I pray that not one person could walk out of this room without being provoked in their spirit, Lord, to at least seek you. I just thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your bride, the privilege of being your church. And I, I love these people. I know how much you love them. And I ask, Lord, that you help us to love each other that way that if you would give your life like that for us, that we would give our lives like that for each other, not just in this room, but all across the earth. And I pray that we would shift from, from just service mentality of the people we see in front of us in a room to understanding that we are the bride of Christ and we've got brothers and sisters that are as much our brother and sister as the people in this room all across the earth. And some of them don't even know that yet. Some of them haven't even heard the mention of the name Jesus. And it matters to you, Lord. There's people in our city right now who have heard a a false gospel, a misrepresentation of the Lord. And you carry him inside of you and you've got him inside of you. And it's as simple as yielding and staying tender and staying obedient as he leads you. And we will see a harvest in this hour. And I pray for that harvest in our lives and in our hearts. I pray for that harvest in Johannesburg and in South Africa and in Africa and in the ends of the earth, the nations. Lord, I thank you for that harvest that comes from tender, simple obedience. And I ask now that you do what I can't do. I don't want to force anything, but I ask for the oil of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of your Holy Spirit to come upon your church in this hour, to come upon 24-7, that you would drench us in your oil, that we would not only be refreshed and, and rested, but we would remain in a place where we can abide, abiding in you, remaining in your love. All through this time, I pray that December, Lord, is going to be a time of rest, of refreshing, but also a time where you're going to speak to people's hearts, prepare them very seriously significantly for what's coming in 2021, Lord. And I thank you that in this, uh, almost like a valley of decision, there's such rest and peace, Lord. There's so much peace. We thank you for the kingdom of heaven, where it's a government of peace and love that rests upon your church. I just thank you for the kiss of Abba. The kiss of the Father on every heart, Lord, on every heart. Thank you for your tender touch. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You know what every heart needs right now. And I thank you that they'll find that in you and in no one else, Lord, that they find what they need in this moment. They find it in your touch. They find it in your kiss. Make us a people of your presence, a people of your glory. Make us a people of your kingdom. thank you for just deep healing freedom thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness that you'd minister that to our hearts that we can trust you and i pray for that seal of fire that you would seal all of us today with that fire lord forevermore forever and ever and ever that we can yield everything to this furious fire of love until it doesn't even seem like sacrifice anymore. where obedience is a joy, it's not a burden. Father, I pray that I release it over every single person here today. And I ask that they, they leave this place not um, not treating it just like a service or a message, but that they take this into the secret place with you. And they dive into that romance that you've called us to and that we would be a soft, tender people that are lovesick that say, Come, Lord Jesus. That is the bride we join, Holy Spirit, we say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come in my heart, come to my family, come in my life, come in my business. Come to the ends of the earth. Come to the unreached. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.